why I said that, but I said it in faith that something is about to take place. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Praise God. Praise the Lord. Praise God. Praise God. You can be seated for just a moment. <clears throat> Praise the Lord. We are so honored to have Brother and Sister Green with us tonight in this house. And uh, we're so glad that they're here and so good to see Sister Green here with us. And so we want her to uh, leave a testimony, a word for you. Praise the Lord, church. I'm so thankful tonight for the word of God, you know, the truth of the word of God. I was raised in a denominal Presbyterian home and I learned to love the word from an early age. And I'm so thankful for the word. It'll keep me when my emotions are confused, when my thoughts are confused, when my circumstances are all muddy and, and cloudy. The Word of God is always clear. It's always true, and we can stand on it. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I've heard that uh, saying a lot, that this is my truth. And then someone will, you know, spout off some, I don't know, some victimization thing that they've been through, and that's, this is my truth is what they say. But the Jesus... The Word of God is the truth. That's my truth, and that's what I want to believe and believe. Praise the Lord. Praise God. Praise the Lord. Praise God. The atmosphere is ready. You're here. You're ready. The evangelist is here. He's ready. Brother Green, come. So good to have you. Take your liberty in the Lord. Praise the Lord. I'm directing your attention tonight to the Gospel of Luke, and I will read two portions of Scripture as text, both from Luke chapter 18, beginning at verse 6, then I'll look back at Luke chapter 7, beginning at verse 1. Would you like to stand one more time with me as we go to the Word of God? And let me uh, say again in our final service here for a little while that uh, we do love and appreciate this church and this leadership very much. And one of the greatest privileges we have as itinerant preachers that travel all over the world is to meet great men and women of God and great churches that God is doing a tremendous work through. And this is absolutely one of those churches that we count a privilege to be part of. Great men and women of God great church and great vision that God is doing through you. Luke chapter 18 and before verse 6 Jesus has just spoke a parable unto them that they men ought to always pray and not faint. And he tells a story about an unjust judge who does not fear man and he doesn't even fear God. But there's this woman that has a need of a favorable judgment. And so she is there at the court every day, wearying him every day. I will be there. I will be there. And even though he doesn't fear man, he doesn't fear God. There's something about this woman that he insists he has to give her a favorable judgment. In verse 6, the Lord said, Hear what the unjust judge saith, and shall not God avenge his own elect, which cry day and night unto him, 
though he bear long with them. I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man cometh, shall he find faith on the earth. And then from Luke chapter 7. Jesus ended all his sayings in the audience of the people, and he entered into Capernaum. And a certain centurion's son, who was dear unto him, was sick and ready to die. And when he heard of Jesus, he sent to him the elders of the Jews, beseeching him that he would come and heal his servant. When they came to Jesus, they besought him instantly, saying that he was worthy for whom he should do this, for he loveth our nation, he hath built for us a synagogue. I, I want you to see the dichotomy that's happening here. This centurion has a servant that he loves very much, and he's sick unto death. And when the Jews come to beseech Jesus for the sake of this centurion, they say, he's worthy. If anyone should get a miracle, it should be him. He's not a child of covenant. He's a Gentile. But their words are, he deserves it because he loves our nation. And he has built for us a church. He's invested finances in the kingdom. He's built for us a synagogue. Then Jesus, verse 6, went with them. And when he was now not far from the house, the centurion sent friends to him, saying unto him, Lord, trouble not thyself, for I am not worthy that thou shouldest enter under my roof. Wherefore, neither thought I myself worthy <laughs> to come unto thee. But I say it, but say in a word, and my servant shall be healed. They said he's worthy. He said I'm unworthy. Verse 8. For I also, that's, that's clue, I also... Am a man set under authority, having under me soldiers, and I say unto one, Go, and he goeth, to another, Come, and he cometh, and to my servant, Do this, and he doeth it. When Jesus heard these things, he marveled at him, and he turned him about, and said unto the people that followed him, that's his disciples, I say unto you, I have not found so great faith, no, not in Israel. And they that were sent, returning to the house, found the servant whole that had been made sick preaching about a powerful God looking for faith. A powerful God looking for faith. That He has come to avenge His elect. Will He find faith? I bless you. You may be seated. I have been amazed when I watched the miraculous of the Holy Ghost. And I could no doubt begin to tell you stories in the last 22 years of full-time evangelism, miracles after miracles and healings after healings and deliverances after deliverance and just on and on. I believe that I could start telling you stories right now that we have seen and still be telling you stories long after everyone was asleep. Just hour after hour because I've seen God do so many tremendous things. But I've also watched a, a particular operation among us. I have watched seemingly individuals who are a guest among us. People that are 
new converts, individuals that show up for one service only in their life, receive miracles and healings and deliverance. So many times we see it, and then sometimes we don't see them anymore, and other times it seems they settle into a walk with God, and that was their miracle of experience and witness. And it seems like it's those that are peripheral that get so many of the miracles. Indeed, if you do a study in the Gospels, you'll find that Jesus was absolutely focused on doing miracles for the children of the covenant. For those that have been prepared by John the Baptist's ministry of repentance, prepare ye the way of the Lord. Repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. And because he preached repentance, they repented, they changed their life. And then Jesus came to do the miraculous in their life because of a repentant state, a covenant that they had with God. If you watch the Lord throughout the Gospels, <coughs> you'll find him doing miracle after miracle, healing after healing for the covenant children of Israel. And he does not go outside the covenant. He anoints 70 of his disciples and sends them out and declares unto them, go heal the sick, go cast out devils, go raise the dead, go do these mighty miracles. But whatever you do, don't go to the Gentiles and don't go to the Samaritans. They are an unrepented, unprepared people. These miracles are for my children. But there's two times in the scripture where you find, like the text we read here today, Jesus going outside of the covenant, the children of Israel. Outside of the covenant to do a miracle for an individual. And here in the text that we read in Luke 7, it's a centurion of the nation that has come in and subdued Israel. This centurion, it's not even him, it's his servant that's sick. But the centurion cares for him. And he sends Jews to Jesus when he hears about Jesus. But you got to hear his mindset as the centurion talks. They tell him, the Jews do, saying to Jesus, he's worthy. If anybody you should do a miracle for, it's this guy. He vests in the kingdom with his finances. He's built us a church. He's built us a synagogue. He, he loves our nation. He loves the people of God. You know anybody like that? Maybe not a part of you, but they love the church and they love the people of God. and They want to invest in the people of God. And these Jews said, this one's worthy. Do a miracle for his servant. And Jesus begins to go to the house of this centurion. But the centurion sends out friends to stop the Lord. You know, I'm not worthy that you should come under my roof. For us today, that would seem like a a rude operation that someone had traveled to come be with you or to minister to someone you loved and you sent out your friends and said, stop, don't come under my roof. But he said, I'm not worthy for you to even come under my roof and be in my house. They said he's worthy. He said he's unworthy. He also says, I'm not even worthy to stand before you. But all you have to do is say the word. And I know my servant will be healed. He begins to speak of his understanding of who Christ is. This is important. When he says, I'm a man under authority. I'm in the military, he's saying. And I have individuals over me in this military. 
And when they speak to me, I know the, I know the word is not coming just from an individual. But it's coming from the authority of that military power. So I do it. But I have men under me, and I speak to them, go, and they go, do, and they do, say, and they say, because I'm not speaking for myself. I'm speaking for the military authority and power that I'm in submission to. When he says this to Jesus, he's telling the Lord, I know who you are. You are one in authority with heaven. All you have to do is speak the word because you are properly submitted to heaven. And if you speak the word, all of heaven is going to obey because you're in proper authority. When Jesus hears this, everywhere he goes throughout all Israel, they are trying to trick him up on who he is. They are denying that he is the Messiah and the Christ. They are telling him that he is just some prophet or just used this way, and he's outside of the flow of religiosity of the day. But when he goes to this man outside of the covenant, this man knows who he is and the authority by which he walks in. This is what makes Jesus turn to the disciples and say, Ooh, I've not seen this kind of faith in all of Israel. Because he understands who he is. The only other time you find Jesus doing this type of miracle outside of covenant is that Syrophoenician woman. Jesus has gone to the Mediterranean Sea to try to get away for a couple of days. It's his vacation. Indeed, the disciples understand that they are armor bearers, that they are trying to protect the Lord so that he can have a little time off. But this Syrophoenician woman comes to the disciples and says, I've got a daughter that needs a healing and needs a deliverance, and I need a miracle. I will not leave. And finally, they get so troubled with her, they say, well, you go to Jesus and let him tell you to leave. And so she breaks through the ranks of their armor bearing, and she gets to Jesus. And when she begins to make her request, Jesus makes a curious statement. He said, it's not meat to give bread that's meant for the children to dogs. He's not calling her a dog individually. He's calling her nation a dog-like nation. That she is a Gentile of the nation that is unrepented and uncovenant. The scripture says that that Gentile nation that's unrepented is like a dog <coughs> that keeps returning to its vomit. It involves itself in the sin of this world and the retribution of that sin. And then it just goes and eats that retribution and sins again and goes again. It's a sick operation of a sin-filled nation. And when he speaks to her, he's saying, why should I give you something precious that I want to bring to the children of God when you are a dog-like nation? And she said, that's true, Lord. But even the dogs get the crumbs that fall from the master's table. And this is the second time that Jesus declares great faith. I've not seen this kind of faith in all of Israel. But I want you to hear and to understand what is being said by Jesus when he talks to the Syrophoenician woman. He says that there is bread that he gives to the children. And in context of this, it's healing and deliverance, and miracles. And he presents it to her that this is what the Father brings every day to give to his children. It is the daily bread for the covenant children of God to have healings, to have miracles, to have signs and wonders. 
I was preaching in Pennsylvania. It was one of them Sundays that I seemed to do way too often. I was preaching in eastern Pennsylvania that morning, scheduled a two-hour drive away for an afternoon service in central Pennsylvania. We was going to have to leave almost in the middle of the altar service in order to make it. pastor would show for me there. That afternoon service would be going. By the time we got there, we'd have to leave in the middle of that altar service to get back to a Sunday night service in eastern Pennsylvania. Three services, four hours driving is what we were prepared for. In that first service, I began to notice that there was a young couple sitting over here on the front row on my far left. And they were worshipers. Hands in the air. Something about worship. Hands in the air. Tears poured down their face. And God was just loving on them so rich. God gave me a word from them from the pulpit. Began to speak to them that I could see there had been some damage and some hurt and pain in their life. And that God was going to heal them. Not only emotionally, but also he would heal them physically. That he had a purpose and instruction for their life. And they received it with their hands up. The power of God upon them. Very thankful and grateful. The altar service begins to operate in different miracles. Miracles are happening, and pastor grabs me as I'm praying for somebody and says, we've got to go right now. We ran out the side door, got into his car. I'm looking for a couple of hours where I can maybe close my eyes for a few minutes and rest, but pastor is an extrovert, and he wants to talk. I'm an introvert, and I want to close my eyes and rest. And so I'm not getting much rest on the two-hour drive to central Pennsylvania. And we get there. The church service has already started. And they quickly ushered me behind the pulpit. And I looked up and sitting over here on the front row is that same couple that was with us in eastern Pennsylvania. I don't know how they beat us. Because as pastor was talking, he was getting faster and faster. We didn't stop for drinks or food. And, and somehow they were there. Power of God began to move. Their worship was powerful. God gave me a deeper insight of what they were dealing with. And I spoke to them of the pain of loss that they had received and how the words medically had come to them that there was no hope, that there would never be any hope, and they received the word of God. And we ran out of the altar service into the car. I'm trying to catch a cat nap, and uh, it's unbelievable how extrovert pastor was. And finally we get to eastern Pennsylvania, and I walk into that pulpit, and there they were. Same couple, we're in three church service, driving four hours. Don't know how they were doing that. But their faith began to pull at my spirit. And the Holy Ghost gave me some specific direction. And as I prophesied to them that third time, I told them that the hurt that they'd received when they lost that baby, God was going to heal them. That they would have a newborn baby in their arm within nine and a half, ten months. That it would be healthy and that God would show himself powerful to them. It was 10 months later that pastor called me up on the phone and he said, do you remember that couple? I said, yeah, yeah, I do. They were in all three services. He said, I'm holding right now in my arms their baby boy. He is healthy. Medical rights. They should not have a child. There was no way it was impossible. But God has done a miracle for them. The baby's healthy. Mama's healthy. In fact, she has had another child since then. God has done a wonderful miracle in their lives. But as we're on the phone musing, he said, I look back at that service. And he said, I often think how many people in that church 
that Sunday morning needed healings and needed miracles. But that couple received a word of healing. But just being spoken to in the presence of God, ministering to them was not enough for them. They thought differently than a lot of people. Well, I received my word. I guess I'll go home and begin to live and to walk the way I should and receive it. And, but they were so hungry, they went to a second service, ministered to in the second service. And for many, that'd be enough. But they drove to a third service. Faith. He said, what blows me away is that they are new converts, that they've had the Holy Ghost two weeks, and that they're as fresh as they can be. No, very little. They just hear the word and believe it and receive it. I was preaching Southeast and very similar Sunday, like I just mentioned to you. I'd be preaching at this one church and we'd have to leave quickly at altar service and go to an afternoon service and then to a third service at a different location. And as I began to give the altar call in that first service, I noticed a lady from my right side stand up to walk down to the altar. And as she stood up, that was faith enough for me to begin to speak to her. Woman, I want you to come down right here. And she stood in front of the pulpit. I said, do you know that God loves you? And she shook her head, yes. I said, I can see that there is pain in your shoulder, in your upper chest region, your arm. And God wants to do a miracle for you right here, right now. Do you believe that he loves you and wants to do a miracle? And she said, yes. You could tell that she was a guest there. She was not a normal saint that always went to that church. And I said, this is what we're going to do. I'm going to pray for you right now. You're there. I'm here. And when I speak the name of Jesus, I don't want you to hesitate. I want you to throw that arm up in the air where that pain is. And God's going to do a complete miracle for you. And I began to pray for her and to speak the name of Jesus. And when I spoke the name of Jesus, she started lifting her hand hesitantly because she had been in pain. <laughs> and when she lifted a little bit and there was no pain, she kind of surprised, threw her hand up in the air. And realized that she had had a miracle and she started worshiping. The church began to realize what had happened and miracles began to outbreak all over. And the power of the Holy Ghost was in the house. <clears throat> we ran from that service to get to the next service. Not able to stay and talk to anyone or to share about what God had done. It was about three months later I had the privilege to be in that same pulpit. And when I looked up that same lady was sitting over on the right I'm sitting here on the platform, and in the middle of the song service, she comes out of the pews and right down to the pulpit, and she's doing this to me. I'm sitting over here, and she's doing this. I guess she didn't know that really we don't do that kind of stuff in church. And so I went down to where she was, and she said, do you remember me? The music is going. It's loud, and choir is singing. I said, yeah, I remember you. God healed your arm, didn't he, your shoulder. Your... She said, well, there's no way you could have known this. I had told nobody, but I had a blood clot that was in my shoulder region. And the doctors had told me there was no hope for me. He's going to put me on blood thinners and this and that. I need to be very careful. She said that Sunday three months ago, God completely healed me. The doctors could find no blood clotting. I've not had to be on any kind of medicine. God has done a miracle for me. She waved her hand around. And so I'm saying that is awesome. So do you love this church? Isn't this a great place to worship God? And she said, this is only my second time ever being here. 
I said, you mean God healed you three months ago and you've not been to church since then? Well, yeah. I said, do you know how much God loves you? And she said, well, I don't deserve it, but I know he loves me. I said, you know, he wants to fill you with a gift of the Holy Ghost, evidence of speaking other tongues. And she said, well, my friend's been telling me about that. I gave her a quick Bible study. They're still singing. I gave her a quick Bible study. And then she lifted up her hands and God filled her with a gift of the Holy Ghost, evidence of speaking other tongues as the Spirit of God gives the utterance. She has been to only two apostolic church services in her life. And the first one, God miraculously healed her. And the second one, God filled her with the gift of the Holy Ghost. What about all the faithful people of God? I was ministering in the Muslim nation of Indonesia. And Kuala Lumpur, the capital city, is where we were having the crusade at, at the hotel ballroom area. And in that ballroom was uh, represented maybe eight, nine, or more different nationalities. And from all over Asia, they had come together, from Indonesia and Singapore, and from even China and Vietnam, different places around. But there was also a group of Iranian refugees that trying to escape persecution had come somehow to Indonesia. And they were all sitting in groups according to their languages. They'd sit in a group over here. And while I'm preaching in English, someone interpret to that group. A little confusion in the house. But when you've got that many different dialects and languages, it's, it's probably the best way to operate. And the Iranian refugees were back in this part of the church and that ballroom toward the back. And so I would speak and I would give a little bit of time so that there could be interpretation of what was spoken into a language they could understand. We noticed this one gentleman with the Iranians. He, he came in with a thin, threadbare T-shirt. But it was hard not to notice that the abdomen region of his body had growths. For they were bulging against the threadbare of that, of that T-shirt. Sticking out what I would estimate four or five inches. On his arm were three more growths and tumors. One just above his wrist and one just below his elbow. And one on the inside of his bicep. And I'm preaching about Jesus, how that he loves you. And that he wants to do a miracle of healing for you. That if you can just call out to him, you will stop him. And your faith will be what makes you brought into his presence so that he can heal your body. And I'm hearing the different ones translate it. And then as I'm beginning to speak another statement, that man stands to his feet throws his hands in the air and starts yelling the name of Jesus. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. And he's so disturbing that people all over that room are turning to see what's going on. And as he hands his, has his hands in the air and speaking the name of Jesus, the growths on that arm that he's holding up begin to shrivel and they begin to shrink. And as we watched, it was just a matter of maybe four or five minutes, as we watched the shrinking of the tumors just completely left his arm until they were no longer there. The only thing left, <coughs> excuse me, 
The only thing left on his arm was just a scar on the inner bicep. I believe it's a testimony of what God had done. He looked down to his abdomen and the t-shirt was now smooth against his abdomen as the tumors were gone. And when he realized what was happening, he begins to try to tell people around him and his language barrier doesn't allow him and he's jumping and he's dancing. So we stop in the middle of the sermon. Sir, come on down here. The translator comes down. And we find out his story. He's got seven relatives with him. Cousins, wife, brothers, sisters, children. And they all come down to the front. Again, I teach them a quick Bible study. That same Jesus that healed you wants to fill you with the Holy Ghost. And seven Iranian refugees began to repent. And one by one, beginning at a mother on this side all the way down, even to this young man, seven of them received the gift of the Holy Ghost. Evidence of speaking other tongues, the Spirit of God gives the utterance. As we began to find out his testimony, he was not only the first time in an apostolic service. It was the first time in a Christian service. In fact, he testified he had never heard of the name of Jesus until that day. And hearing the name of Jesus and great faith in that name, Jesus, Jesus. Tumors are dissolved. Healings happen. He's preaching in the Midwest, last story. And at the altar service, Holy Ghost had been directing me to a man sitting on the back row. So I speak to him from the pulpit. Sir, if you'll come down right now with your family, this is a moment of destiny for you. Your family will never be the same again. He grabs his family, a wife and two children, somewhere around 10, 11 years of age, and they come down to the front. And as I'm beginning to speak to him, the phone, the cell phone on his belt begins to vibrate. Now, he told us afterwards that this is something rare for him because everybody knows when he goes to church on Sunday night, he turns his phone completely off. It doesn't even vibrate. No one can reach him during Sunday. It's not a distraction for him. He turns it off. But tonight, for whatever reason, he had turned it on vibrate. And now he's down in the front. Prophetic word is going forth to him. His family will never be the same after this moment. His phone vibrates, and instinctively he looks down to see. It's the number of his son from a different marriage. And he looks up and he says, Preacher, can I answer this phone call? Because you said that my family would never be the same again. This is my boy. Can I answer the phone? I said, just answer it. Tell him who you are or answer it. Find out who it is. Tell him where you're at in the altar and just set put the telephone right here on the pulpit. Just a matter of seconds, the telephone with the cell phone was on the pulpit. And I began to prophesy to someone I'd never spoken to or never heard before. That young man, the power of God is upon you right now. And while you feel like there is no hope and that all is lost, the love of God is going to surround you more than you have ever felt it. If you lift up your hands right now, young man, God is going to fill you with the gift of the Holy Ghost, and you're going to find a joy and a peace. Church was excited. Praise was moving the place. 
I was able to get the cell phone to my ear to hear on the other line. He must have had one hand in the air and the other hand close to his mouth. As he's speaking other tongues, the Spirit of God gives the utterance. I hand it back to the Father. They're rejoicing. The life has been changed. He said, I'm going to go back to the back of the church, hang up, tell my son I'll call him back right after service. We need to keep going on what's happening. But the son says, just a minute, Dad. I need to tell you the story. I'm here on a corner of a busy road. I knew that you would not answer my phone because it's Sunday night. You're in church. You turn your phone off. But he said, I was just going to speak to your voicemail. And I simply was going to say, Dad, I love you. And goodbye. And the next truck that came by was going to jump in front of and end my life. He said, Dad, how did God know? where I was at. I wasn't even in church. I didn't come for a miracle or a healing. I had given up. There was no hope. But it was a dad's faith. It was a mama's faith. It was a prophetic word for a family that he said has to include my son that God began to move and to operate in. And God restored that young I know when we hear these stories, we want miracles to happen for our guest. And yes, we want new converts to receive healing and the supernatural. Yes, 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 yes. And we want the power of God to be demonstrated in our community. Yes, yes, yes. But what about the elect? What about God's covenant children? What about those that worship him and spend time in the prayer room and those that dedicate their life to him and faithful in their stewardship and their giving? What about those that sacrifice and have no thoughts of turning aside but are living for him all the days of their life? What about the elect? The scripture says in our text that he bears long with them. And they cry in the nighttime and they cry in the daytime. God, if you don't move in my family, there's no hope. If you don't speak a direction, I don't want it all night long. They're crying out to their God. In the daytime, they deal with the problems. They deal with the frustration as the enemy tries to bring destruction into their home. It tries to destroy. And they're crying unto God in the daytime. And they're crying unto God at night. And the scripture said he bears long with them. Because we have learned as Christians that there's value in the journeys for which we walk through. And sometimes we need to go through tough times in our health or lack thereof. So that it builds a compassion in us for people who are hurt broken and have no health and for the sake of discipleship and ministry he allows us to walk through things and sometimes in our most desperate prayers and our most desperate cries God I need your miracle in my home I need your miracle in my finance I need your miracle in my marriage God just seemingly is bearing long with us and there's no answer and there's no miracle and guests come and receive miracles and we might never see them again but we are crying to God day and night. But the scripture says, I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. 
Because of being disciples of Christ, we have to pick up our cross and follow him. And we operate in the power of his resurrection because we live in the fellowship of his suffering. And ministry is built within us through the sojourn of our hurt and our pain and walking in faith regardless of what we see. We still believe. We still believe. But there comes a time when that journey, when that pain, when that hurt has brought to fruition what it needed to bring to fruition. That you have learned the lesson that patience has been built in your life. That faith has arisen in you and showed of steadfastness. And everything that that journey needed to build in you has been built in you. And so the scripture tells us God doesn't want you to hurt one more second. He doesn't want you to be in pain. He wants to heal and deliver and bring. To, he wants a miracle to happen. He'll do it quickly. He'll do it speedily. Here's the question. But when he comes to heal his elect, that he's been waiting, 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 will he still find faith in his elect? Now, traditionally, this scripture has been spoken of that when God comes back to the earth, will there still be people who are faithful and the precedence is there? But in context of the judge and the unjust judge and God saying, hear the words of the unjust judge and how much more would a loving God, a righteous God. The thread here is that he has come to heal. But because we, his elect, have gotten comfortable in the journey of suffering. Shipwreck thrice spent the night in the deep. Stone twice. You hear Paul begin to talk about his journeys and his battles. And this is the preparation that makes him the man of God that he is. But there comes a time when he's delivered from the shipwreck. And delivered from a night and a day in the deep. And delivered from a stoning and a resurrection happens in his life. The key for us is to understand that any time that the opportunity comes for healing and miracle in our life, we got to reach out again and say, God, you're my physician. You are my healer. You are my miracle worker. And regardless of how long you have been in that journey, child of God, no matter how long you have suffered and how many prayers you have prayed and seemingly he did not answer, no how, how long that he has seemingly waited and been long-suffering and bearing with you, you've got to keep your faith strong knowing he is my God. He loves me. He does not want me to suffer any moment more than I have to. He will heal me today if the journey has come to fruition. It's my miracle time. It's my opportunity. And we oftentimes with the routine of ministry building, character building, Christ-like discipleship building, start to think that there will never be a healing when He is your Father and He brings daily bread to you. So when God sends especially His servant to the pulpit to declare like I am today, that God has come to do some great things for His elect. Those of you who are living a repented life, those of you who are trying your best, not perfect, but you're trying your best to live for God. 
Those of you who have received the gift of the Holy Ghost in your life, those of you who want to live for God, He has come for some of you today to heal you. To give you direction from the darkness of where you're living. To speak an overcoming walk in the middle of your dry journey. To speak a peace and a joy that you've been reaching for and hungry for and trying to receive. That he is here today. Speedily. Quickly. It's not going to take much if you'll just find faith. Find faith. Would you entertain that word of faith just with worship right now? In Jesus' name. 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 Itaroso lo borrado corrado talabadaya. While you have felt inadequate in the ministry and the calling that God has put in your heart. Know this, that God has been qualifying you and preparing you and digging you out for the purpose for which he is opening for you even now. So don't fear to dream bigger than what you've dreamed before, for it's God that will do in you both his good will and his good pleasure to perform his purpose. He will open brand new doors for you, and you will walk through them in new anointing and new powers and new strength, and you will see a greater effectiveness in the ministry in which you're setting in right now, greater effectiveness. And I see a revival happening among the young people to a greater degree than what you've ever experienced. Day and night, day and night, night and day, the cries and the prayers that the enemy has tried to destroy the most sacred thing of covenant that you have received and you walk in. But God is bringing a light to the darkness. He's going to do a miracle in the middle of this situation. Know that you have depended upon him. You have cried unto him. But there's a quick work that's happening. So trust God and walk through an open door that he gives you. Yeah. There's a healing for your physical body right now, my friend. The virtue that falls from the whipping post, that blood shed there. Now upon your physical body as healing begins to flow, receive healing in Jesus' name. Jesus' name. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Would you worship just a little more as we're seeking the presence of God? Worship just a little more as we're seeking his presence. Jesus.
Jesus. Would you stand all over the building? There's still many words to be spoken in these altars outside of the microphone. Here's how I feel to give direction for a response to the Word of God. If you're a child of God and you have faith that He loves you and you have been in the middle of one of these journeys crying night and day, day and night, but you want to extend your faith one more time, some of you today are at the place of fruition. And there's a healing, and there's a miracle, and there's a deliverance, and there's a... <laughs> so if that's you, child of God, then express your faith by coming down and standing in this altar area. I believe, I believe, I believe. I believe, I believe, I believe. I believe, I believe, I believe. In Jesus' name. Let me give you a little instruction in this altar. Many, many, many of the miracles that happen, instantaneous miracles, is through the operation of a gift of faith. Gift of faith that operates in the individual or in the body of Christ where your expectations become so strong that you know God can do anything. And there's high faith and there's high praise and there's high energy. And in that kind of atmosphere, which I call great faith or high faith, a lot of miracles can happen for people outside of covenant. But so many times for the covenant children of God, this is the atmosphere by which healing happens because healing, miracles in high faith, but healing operates so many times in the atmosphere of the love of God. When God is reaching out to you again and telling you, you're my child. I've got this. Here's some daily bread for you. It's not hard for me to heal you. It's not hard for me to give a miracle. I'm not withholding it because you've done something bad. You're my child. I want you to have this. I want you to know this. And once you have gone through that journey of maturation that has brought you to a place of ministry or character in God, then he wants you to have it just as soon as you possibly can. So in this atmosphere where he's loving you is where that healing will begin to flow upon you. And while miracles are instantaneous, healings oftentimes are journeys. And without a doubt, there are some healings that have already begun in your lives. Healings of your marriages, healings of your homes, healings of your futures, healing even of your physical body. It has already begun to happen in this place. So when we get out of the microphone and we begin to move in this altar as the body of Christ, then I want you to let the love of God surround you.
Let nail-scarred hands pick you up. Let the embrace of Calvary, like we experienced this morning, flood our soul and express to him, I know you're my God. You're my Father. I know you love me. Tell him again you're here for a healing. You're here for a miracle. And just let that supernatural move of the Holy Ghost be upon you right now. So right now, would you begin to let the love of God I'm getting out of the microphone and in the altar. Would you let the love of God, 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 brother Jeff, help us. Love of God, love of God. Yeah, there you go, ministry. Help us pray. There you go, ministry. Help us pray. Ha 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 ha. He shall run no to satala by ya. He could run no koto roboto satayah.